0: Guys, grab your Bibles. We're in Acts chapter 2. We're going to uh, look at the first 13 uh, verses. And as you're turning there, I want you to, let me ask you this. Have you ever, ever uh, been anticipating we're getting to close to Christmas? Thanksgiving's almost here. Some folks already have their Christmas trees up. Right, Jessen. He's not going to answer that. It's almost sacrilegious to put your Christmas tree If you have, it's okay. We're going to pray for you. Um, God is, is a God of forgiveness. But you ever been anticipating something? And you, and I know when I was a kid, we get really, really excited about things. And, oh, it's just so great, so great. Things are coming. This is coming. Christmas is coming, and we're anticipating. And then Christmas gets here, and you go, is this it? I, I've done that. There, there was a story. I, I think I've told this story before. I told my dad. I said, hey, Dad. Um, uh, he asked me, what do you want for Christmas? I said, the only thing I want is I, I want a lever-action twenty-two rifle. I want a Winchester Model 94 Lever action, 22 rifle. That's all I wanted. He goes, you don't want this, you don't want that? He goes, nope, this is, Dad, I promise you, this is all that I want. All that I want. And, and a couple of weeks before Christmas, I noticed this long, slender box. My dad's a, a gunsmith and, and, and all. And I noticed this long, slender box that was tucked behind our Christmas tree. It was after Thanksgiving, therefore our tree was up. And, and it was tucked back there, and I'm going, oh, I know what that is. I know what that is. That's my Winchester Model 94. Lever Action 20G Rifle. Christmas morning came, and, and I was so excited, and, and I was trying to hold in my excitement because, I, man, this is all that I wanted. I, I, like, got socks and underwear, and I, like, through that stuff, away. I don't care about that. So I want this 20G Rifle. And, and I get there, and I open, it's the last gift, and I open this box up, and my dad, and I love my dad. You guys know I love my dad. In this box was this beat-up, rusted, broken stock, piece of junk scrap 22 rifle that he had found in his junk pile and in there was a note that said hey Josh I'm sorry this fell out of my sleigh on the way here hope you can use this Santa and I just like crumbled I'm like are you kidding me I'm like I was so disappointed I mean like and I didn't want to share that because I love my parents and I'm like man I'm just so disappointed High expectations. I've been looking at that box for three weeks, and like, that's my rifle, and and as I'm just about to just melt in the chair, my dad walks in, and he hands me something even better. A Smith & Wesson Model 944 .22 pistol. I didn't even know I wanted it, but I opened this box, and am like, oh, that's even better than what I wanted. So here's where I'm getting at this, and I know I'm telling this crazy story, and and all this stuff. But I want you to think about this. Oftentimes, we anticipate things, and we build things up, and oftentimes, more often than not, when we have this anticipation of things, they—they're they, a lot. we build them up bigger than what they are. We have this great anticipation of, of, of something that's going to happen, and we're absolutely disappointed. It just doesn't meet our expectations, and rarely do things exceed our expectation. The cool thing is what we're going to look here at Acts, is these guys, these believers, this 120 gathered in that upper room, they were expecting God to move. And I believe they had the bar set super high. And the cool thing is, is that God over delivers. This is the cool thing that we can see here, that with with our expectations of what God can do, oftentimes we set the bar way too low. And God always, always exceeds our expectations. He never disappoints. This is the second chapter of Acts and what we see here is a ta- turning point in the history of God's kingdom. The church is being born. A new phase of God's redemptive plan is unfolding right before us as we read this. The church is born. And here's the thing, everything, everything needed for the church to be the church has been established but this one key element and that's the coming of and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in God's people to be about His work. We've talked about this, that that the church, my definition of the church is is a people living for and proclaiming the glory of God because they've been transformed by the glory of God. That is the church. This is my prayer for us, that, that we as a church, this piece of God's kingdom here, that we live for and proclaim God's glory because we have been transformed by God's glory. And what we see here, this is, this is it. This, these components, all of it is coming. And God is saying, hey, we're about to, get, we're about to kick this thing off. This is, this is amazing. This empowerment of the Holy Spirit is the fuel and spark that ignited the engine of the church to start and move forward. And I want you to think of this as we walk through this. Kind of picture this in your mind. You guys, uh, Some of you guys uh, may or may not know how a combustion engine works. There's some guys here that that can tell me all, yes, we have engineers that know exactly how that works. A combustion engine. You can have all the things together there, but if you don't have fuel, air, and spark, you don't have a running engine, do you? You don't. You need those components to come together to get this thing to do what it was designed to do. There's engineered all kinds of pieces and parts and And all of these things, and it looks really good on paper, but it is not a running engine until you have those three things. The church is very similar to that. What we see in our text is the mechanism of the church. It's all there, but it still sits idle until the fuel, the air, and the spark. God ignites it, and it starts. And it is something powerful. It's powerful. We have to see our passage in light of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, just as Jesus' words, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The purpose of the church is to grow the church by sharing the message of the church in which it was founded on, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm pumped about today. Today. I'm so excited to walk through Acts chapter 2 because it's such a beautiful, beautiful chapter. and We can learn so much from it. So you guys got your Bibles open? I got two people up front. I'm going to give the rest of you guys a little time. If you need to, you can pull it up on your phone. Maybe scoot over to next to somebody that's got a Bible open. Let's read God's Word. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. There they go again. They're all together. This is important. It's important, they're all together. It's good that we are all together. That's why I tell you, you need to worship with your, your brothers and sisters. We need to gather together on the Lord's Day. We need to fellowship together and do life together. And we'll talk more about that at the end of Acts chapter 2. But when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a, a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Try to imagine this as we you, as you read through this. They're sitting there, they're praying, they're all together here comes this rush like a rushing wind verse 3 and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven and at the sound of the multitude came and at this the sound of the multitude came together and they were they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Serene, and, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and, and proselytes. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are all filled with new wine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. You are holy, you are righteous, you're sovereign. God, we've heard stories of your sovereign work, even through the stories of of kids that you've brought into a home and how you've delivered them back. And it's not the way that we would have planned things, but God, it is your sovereign plan. And, And the good thing is we can trust in that. You are holy. You are sovereign. You are good. You're righteous. And you can be trusted. So, Father, as we walk through this, Lord, help us to see the goodness of who you are and how you work. And Father, my prayer for us as a church, every believer here, that you empower us to be who you've called us to be. And Father, my prayer too is is for those that are unbelieving here this morning, that you would change hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, that you would save today. And Father, I pray that you would fan the flame of the gospel in our hearts, put it so ever on our tongues, and that we're eager to make Jesus non-ignorable. So help us to do that, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. The day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50th, if you're wondering. It was called Pentecost because it occurred 50 days after the Passover. And it's interesting, this is a festival of weeks or the festival of harvest or what they called the first fruits. It's interesting, it's, it's, it's a huge celebration and, and people would travel from all over. And we see in our scripture there were people from all over that traveled there, devout Jews and 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 those that were coming, that were of the Jewish faith, that were coming there to celebrate this, this festival, this first fruits, this harvest there. It was a highly celebrated festival, and there were were many from far off that gathered there for this celebration. And I find it interesting that this is when God divinely chose to establish His bride, the church. There are people from all over gathered to one place. God's going to Start the flame of the church and these people are going to hear this truth and they're going to go back like a a brush fire. Amazing brush fire. Those, Those that were gathered there into the church that day were the first fruits of the full harvest of believers to come. This is where it started. This is why we are here. Because it started there. Imagine that. Think about this. This is the first fruit harvest of the church here. And we're we're part of that. We're a harvest. God has developed a harvest among us. We're not the first fruits because there's so many that have gone before us. But we see it beginning here. And I love how, how Luke describes this. He says, it's wind and tongues of fire. So I want to kind of look at this for just a moment because it's so interesting to see this. And it, I think it helps us to, to look at this to understand our purpose as a church and what God has called us as individual believers to do. Luke says when they were, they were all together there, they came, uh, there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind that filled the whole house. Now I want you to think about this. Try to imagine this. Imagine everything that these guys have already seen and now they're praying together They've cast lots, they have a the apostle, they're still together and they're praying, this anticipation of what God is going to do, and then the house starts to shake. Something like a wind comes. This fills the whole place, this rushing wind. Imagine if you were there. It's interesting that Luke describes the coming Holy Spirit as like wind, it's interesting because if you do a little bit of a word study, the Hebrew word for wind or even breath, it's, it's ruah. I think I said that right. I don't speak Hebrew. But here's what it means. And we see this in Scripture it's interchangeable, meaning breath, meaning wind. We see the Greek word, this pneuma. In the Greek in the New Testament, we see the, the same word, this pneuma. And what it means is, is wind, it means breath. And it also means Spirit, Holy Spirit. Scripture describes the presence of God is made known in the wind. Genesis 2-7 Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. That Hebrew word, And then in Job, Job 38, 1, in in chapter 40, verse 6, it says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Isn't that interesting that God speaks in the wind? You see in Exodus 14, you guys know this? The parting of the Red Sea? You know how that happened? God used wind. Wind is... It's wind, God's power in wind to drive back the sea in Exodus 14. Wind is often described as the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. When you look at the New Testament, that pneuma, look at this, John 3, 8. The wind blows, this pneuma blows where it wishes. And your heart is sound, but, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Do a word study on that. John twenty, verse twenty-two, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." This wind is significant. It's God speaking. God's work. God is working. This wind is the coming of the Holy Spirit that would empower and make alive these believers and all other believers to come. To be that witness that, that we see in Acts 1-8, that Jesus promised that they would be. This wind, the Holy Spirit, is the driving force of the church. This wind, it's a power. You think of a brush fire. When the fires were happening up in the mountains, they were so concerned about the wind of driving the fire. This wind, this is the Holy Spirit, it's power. It does that, it works that way. When we see this fire, these tongues of fire. Luke describes these tongues of like tongues of fire that came and rested on each one of them. And here's what interesting is interesting. None of them are left out in that upper room. This is so neat that we see this unifying aspect of, of God and his people. None of them were left out. The tongues of fire hit all of them. They rested on all of them. All of them were touched by these tongues of fire. And in doing so, this is what's so neat. A fire was ignited in each of them. So here's the question. What's the fire? What's the fire? It's interesting that Luke describes this event as tongues of fire. These tongues have to do with the the word of God. Did you see this? They were were talking about the things, the works, the mighty works of God. How did they know the works of God? They had the word of God. We talked about that last week this is what they did they when they didn't know what to do they looked at god's word and they shared the mighty works of god it's the word of god tongues have to do with the word of god and that is the gospel that these believers had seen and heard in church the gospel is fire it is fire It's that fire that was set aflame in those there that day. The Word of God is often described as fire. It is. Let me prove it to you. Jeremiah 23, 29, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Anybody remember a guy named Moses? In a bush? What was going on with that bush? Say it. You can say it. He was on fire, right? And God spoke out of the flames. He spoke, and this is what we see here. This truth of who God is, is fire. It is, comes out of this fire. This is what we see here. It was out of these flames, of the burning bush, that God revealed to Moses that He is the great I Am. And it is through the word of the gospel that we see that Jesus is the great Messiah. Do you see this? It's the truth of the gospel and God says, here, here's this little flame and I'm about to blow this mighty wind on it of the Holy Spirit and this is going to burn brightly and it's going to consume so much. You want to change the world? Stoke the fire. Soak the fire of the truth here. It's the Word of God. The truth about who God is, who Jesus is and, and what He's done that is, that is this fire in a believer. The fire is the gospel set ablaze in a believer. This is what happened here on that day at Pentecost. These guys stood up. They were set ablaze. Now, remind, let me remind you what had just happened. They had murdered Jesus 50 days prior to this, some 50 days prior to this. And here they are knowing what could befall them physically. Standing up at one of the greatest events of all time with all of these people there talking about who Jesus is. You think of how dangerous that is. These guys were bold and it was God in them empowering them to do this. All of these elements were there and God comes and he strikes this spark and he blows the wind on the fire of the gospel and these believers. And what you see is a mighty blaze that began and is still burning today. Praise God for that. It originated in a little upper room in Jerusalem. And it's here in Severance Middle School. In the middle of November of 2021. I don't know about you guys, but that's amazing to me. That's amazing. God that still works in the same way. It is God who strikes the spark in us. He he does this. And here's, here's the thing we cannot will it or hope it or, or strike this spark ourselves. It's it's the divine hand of God that ignites the fire of the truth of the word of God in a believer. We still see this today. Many, many hear the gospel repeatedly, but until God opens the mind and the heart of the hearer, there is no fire. However, when God does, there is a fire that is burning. Burning. This is why I tell our parents, we had parent commissioning just a few Sundays ago. And my prayer for those parents and, and for those kids is that parents pile the, the kindling of the gospel around them. Pile it on. Make it. When God sets the, strikes the spark of that, that kindling, that it burns and burns hot and burns long. God does that. You think about how many times you heard the gospel, and you go, yeah, that's okay. I'm good. And then one day, one day, God crushed your heart. You saw your sin. You saw what you were doing in the face of a holy creator that loves you and gives you everything. That you were an enemy of Him. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals that to us. and I'm going to show us this here in just a moment. It's God does that. He works in our heart. He changes our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. The blaze is the flame that is born in every believer. And it's to be the warmth and light that shines from, forth throughout, throughout the church. And it's to be contagious. So let's talk about the blaze that is the church. The blaze that should be the church. Verse 4 says that those who were there were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and as the Spirit gave them utterance. And you remember the city was filled with a multitude of people from all over. They came from all over. It was a big large gathering of foreign people. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, This wind empowered them to speak the gospel fire. See God's sovereign working there. See God's perfect plan. Super spreader event. That's what it was. That just came to me. I didn't even have that in my notes. That's awesome, isn't it? Super spreader event. God's the originator of that, right? I'm sure there'll be a life group question on that. Brett, you got that? Okay. It's awesome we see this. Spreading like wildfire, it's the gospel. It's beautiful. I want to see this too. We have to understand here too that they weren't when they were speaking other languages. It wasn't gibberish. They spoke languages that that they didn't know. It'd be like me going, uh, me and Hefe. Hefe's a, a, a Spanish teacher. Me going to him and carrying a conversation on in Spanish, but I'm sharing the gospel with him. I don't know Spanish. I don't know very little. But these guys spoke it flu- fluently. or be like me going to Germany and speaking German. I don't know, a bit of German. But here's what we see is God, God empowered these guys to do just that. They spoke an intelligible language understood by those foreigners. What Jesus had spoken to them in verse 8 was manifested. They're going to be this witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria the earth, and, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. They received the power of the Holy Spirit to be this witness to tell All that they had seen and heard in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it was happening, it was beginning right there. All of these foreigners were hearing the mighty works of God in their own language. They were hearing these guys speak the truth of who God is in their dialect, in their language. It's amazing. I think, why doesn't this happen more often? The gospel. It's gospel fire. It's a fire that's, that's blown and spread by the wind or power of the Holy Spirit through believers who are the church. And I ask God, why isn't it happening among us today? The American church is the richest churches in the world are here. And most theologians will argue that we are post Christian. Ask why. Why is this not happening here? Well, here's, here's my conclusion to this there's one of two, two reasons many confessing Christians are not on fire for the kingdom of God. Here's number one. They don't know Jesus. I'll tell you this because I love you. There are confessing Christians that do not know Jesus, they don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit within them, they have not truly embraced the saving grace of the gospel. Luke says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is not to be confused with the ba- being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to talk about this too. This is not, I'm not saying that you're not saved unless you speak a foreign language. This is not, scripture does not support that. I see where these guys were empowered to do that at that point for the glory of God. But we do see in Scripture here that salvation, when we, we embrace Jesus, when God saves us, the Spirit comes in us. We're, we're a dwelling place for that. The Apostle Paul clearly defines the baptism of the Holy Spirit as that act of Christ by which he places believers into his body. Let me prove it to you. 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Here, here's the problem that I think that we have seen, and, and I believe it is a lot of the American church that we've done this. We've made Christianity something to accept and add on, rather than something to surrender to. We've made Christianity an add-on rather than a new life. We have looked at Jesus and go, he will get me some good stuff. So, yeah, I'll say I'll trust in this guy. Church, i tell you this because I love you. When I read this book, that is not Christianity. True Christianity is knowing that you are a sinner and what you deserve is the full wrath of God. That's what you deserve. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But true Christianity is this too, that you have only one hope and that is absolute 100% surrender to Jesus Christ and what He has done. Nothing that you have done. It is surrender to Jesus. It is hope and faith in Jesus that what He accomplished on the cross and still is accomplishing for you today is your redemption and your reconciliation to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of all creation. It's not something that you do on Sunday. It's not something that you earn by dropping a tithe check in a box. It's not something that you do because I spend 10 to 20 minutes in my Bible every day. True Christianity is going, I have no hope but Jesus. And praise God that He is enough. That is true Christianity. And I think we've lost that. I think the American church has lost that a little bit. We ask them, hey, do you want to go to hell? You don't want to go to hell, do you? That's like asking a kid, do you want a chocolate chip cookie or maybe an oatmeal raisin? Or do you want Brussels sprouts? What are they going to choose? The oatmeal raisin all day long, right? I've never met anybody that I've asked, hey, do you, want, you don't want to go to hell, do you? I've never had anybody go, yeah, I think I do. That's shallow Christianity there. What we should be asking is, do you know the King of Kings? Do you know Do you know where you're at right now? If we truly believe Romans 8.1, if you don't know Jesus, you are under condemnation. But if your hope and faith and trust is in absolute in Jesus and what He's done for you, there is no condemnation. And how does that change your life? That is true Christianity, and I think we've, we've messed up here. I was talking with a group of guys this week, too. This week, and we're drinking coffee. We're talking about this and what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower and live out this gospel message. And I looked around the table, and there's an electrician, there's an engineer. There's a guy that sells trading cards online. There's a, a contractor. And I looked at these guys and oftentimes we think that's our identity. And I said, that is not our identity. You're a follower of Jesus that happens to be an engineer. You're you're a follower of Jesus that happens to be a housewife. You're a follower of Jesus that happens to be a, a medical worker. You are a follower of Jesus It happens to be a mechanic. And that is the avenue that God has given you to make much of Him in those places. And so often we place our identity on what we do rather than who Jesus says that we are. And church, that's where we need to focus these things. Let me get back to my notes here. I'll be here all morning. It's Pentecost. Man, it's just so amazing. The baptism of the Spirit is what happens when God saves us. This is what this is. We're washed clean by the Holy Spirit, empowered to do this. It is the divine act of God who calls you unto salvation, and when He does, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. That is why we are told that our bodies are the temple. First Corinthians six nineteen says, "Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, Christian. You're not your own." Praise God, you belong to Jesus. Simply put, confessing, some confessing, Christians are not Christians. Church, this is why you hear the gospel here every day. I I do not hedge my bets that every person that walks in here is a believer in Jesus. And, And we preach the gospel here every Sunday for two reasons. One, there are unsaved people here that need to hear it. And number two, there are saved people here that need to hear it. I need to hear it. Here's number two, the reason why we church, most churches, there some churches are just not on fire. There's no seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is something that the believers who have the indwelling Spirit are continually to seek. Luke says they were filled with the Spirit and the outcome was the empowerment to boldly proclaim the gospel. Now, I want you to do, guys to do, I had to write a paper on this in seminary. And, and I want you to do some research for me. I want you to and, and try to prove me wrong. Because I've studied this. Here's what I found just about every time that you see in Scripture, in the New Testament, you know, the filling of the Holy Spirit, this is what you see a boldly sharing of the gospel. We will see it in the book of Acts when we get to Philip. I'm sorry, Stephen. Well, Philip, too. Philip in the eunuch. But you think of Stephen, one of, one of the first deacons, proclaiming the gospel to the men that are killing him in the moment. You tell me how God does that. He doesn't do that on His own. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And what He's doing is He's preaching the gospel to these guys. What He's saying is, you're a sinner, Jesus saves, you need to put your hope and trust in Him. This is what He's doing. Every single time, we just about every single time we see that. Peter and Paul, you'll see that over and over and over again, that they are not only just have the indwelling, but the filling of the Holy Spirit. And they go and proclaim the gospel. Even after being imprisoned and beaten, they preach the gospel to the men that are threatening to take their lives away. They preach the gospel boldly. These men had this burning in them that they couldn't could not be controlled when they were filled with the Spirit and the fire of God to proclaim the glory of God through the gospel. Church, it's not changed today. And I think our problem is, is we don't, we don't seek that. To be filled up with the Holy Spirit means we got to make room. We get filled up with a bunch of other junk. We don't fan the flame. That's, that's pastor's job or... Life group leaders' job to do those things. This is why we ask people to share the gospel so often in our life groups. Share the gospel. We want you to be gospel fluent. We want you to feel comfortable sharing the gospel with the lady checking your groceries out or the restaurant with your waitress. There's power in this. Church, we're to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit to fan this flame. The gospel in us so that it's a spreading and consuming fire. Paul tells it like this in, in 2 Timothy 1, verses 6-8. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, not do be, not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel." By the power of God. We struggle with this. We struggle with this. We don't fan the flame, but we quench the Spirit. We don't feed the Spirit, we quench the Spirit often. We resist the Spirit. We can do those things. Scripture tells us that we can quench the Spirit. We can resist it. This is what I believe. We're content with a small burning ember rather than a consuming fire. Oftentimes, we're more consumed with fear rather than faith. We fear what people may think if I share the truth of the gospel. What will my boss think? Will I lose my job? Will I lose friends? We fear what people may do, we fear, fear not having control. It's not the spirit of God that is, he's given us. He's given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control. And I think we need to do this wisely. Do it wisely and think about this. How can we do this? Be more effective for God's kingdom to think about these things, to pray about those things. And, and I think we should wake up every day God, how do you want me to make much of you today? How can I fan this flame today? We're called to fan this flame. And we do this by living lives of bold faith. There's three ways I want to share with you real quick, and I'm going to, we're going to be done this morning. Three ways to fan the flame. Here's the first one. You need to take God at His word. You need to take God at His word. Oftentimes, I don't think we do this enough. We need to trust in God. We talked about this a lot last week. When He says, I will never leave you or forsake you, Take him at his word. When he says, I'm empowering you to do this, take him at his word. Test him on those things. I think we should do that. We should, we should live lives for God's glory and trusting that he will sustain you and bring you joy that you can find nowhere else. Trust God. When he says, I have more riches than you could ever imagine, and I'm not talking about gold or silver, I'm talking about God's eternal riches. And he wants to give them and share those things with us. And so often we don't trust in that. We need to take God at his word and trust him. When he says my word, it will, it will not, when it goes out, it won't come back void. Here's number two. Church, we've got to seek holiness. Holiness. We have got to seek holiness. And this is a struggle of every believer. I want you to notice just prior to this happening, the 120 were gathered together and they were praying. They were seeking God. They were not outliving lives of sin, but they were seeking holiness. And so many people wonder why the Spirit does not move in them. And they wonder, God, I I just wish you would work in my life. Maybe it's because they're not seeking to live lives holy unto God. Yeah, I kind of know what your word says, but I don't think you really meant that, so I'm going to go do my own thing. We've got to live lives that are holy to God. Bold faith. Bold faith means fighting sin and seeking obedience to God. Bold faith is going, hey, I want to live lives that are holy, and that means we do it together. That means that you find people that you can fight your sins together with. That you can be real with. And you can, be, you can seek this holiness together. That we are to lovingly encourage one another and spur one another along. And direct one another. We should have self-control. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about, if you've, you've read through Scripture, I want you to think about how many times did God tell people to consecrate themselves before He was about to do something amazing? You know what that means to consecrate yourselves? Hey, you need to stop and set some stuff aside. You need to stop everything. You need to be patient. You need to seek my face. You need to go over here and pray. You need to get yourself clean. You need to put all of that other junk out of the way, and you need to prepare for me to do something big. What if? Here's the thing. What if? There's roughly maybe 200 people here this morning. What if all 200 of us tomorrow morning got up 5 30, 8, 9, 10, whatever time you got up, let's get up. And before your feet hit the floor, you consecrated yourself in prayer. And said, God, let me seek your face today. And we earnestly prayed. I'm I'm just thinking, I'm I'm spitballing here. What do you think God could do through Calvary Severance? If all of us sought God's face and God, help me to be holy and make much of you today before your feet hit the floor. I think that's expecting big things from God and His people. Imagine that. Imagine that. Here's number three. We need to feed the fire. We need to feed the fire. Oftentimes we are not filled with the Spirit because we are filled with a bunch of other junk. My redneck's showing this morning. Here's the thing, we're not seeking the Spirit, but we're quenching it. God's Word tells us we are to fan this flame. We are to feed the fire with the Word of God. We are to feed the fire with worship. That's why I thank Hefe for giving us permission to raise your hands and worship. The Word tells us we are to lift holy hands. You may not be a hand raiser, and that's okay. But can you show it on your face a little bit? We're to do this through worship and fellowship and encouragement. We're to feed this fire. We're to challenge one another. I had a brother challenge me the other day doing something missionally. and going, hey, I, I got this crazy idea that maybe, maybe our life group or some folks in our church might want to do this. It's kind of a crazy idea, but what do you think? It would give us an opportunity to, to have deep co- gospel conversations with people that, that more than likely need it. And I go, let's do it. Let's do it. It sounds crazy. Yeah, but let's do it. We need people like that of going, hey, you got this idea or encouragement of going, hey man, how can, we, how can we reach our community with the gospel? How can we reach our families? How can we reach, reach our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth with the gospel? We need this. We need to feed the fire. Because I can't do it by myself. My job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's your leaders. This is our job. You are to go out and do that. We're to feed the fire with gospel-centered fellowship. Now, how are we doing that? Church, the New Testament church, was established by God through His, his people. they had experienced His glory. And they were forever changed by His glory. And because of this, they were about His His glory, by His power. Nothing has changed. Nothing really has changed. We too, if we have experienced the life-changing glory of God, we're to be about about the sharing of the truth that changed us. We're to be about that and sharing that. And here's the challenge for us, if we truly know this truth that saves us, we should eagerly fan this flame that empowers us to share the saving grace with others. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's the Word, the Gospel, that changes lives and changes the world. It does change the world. The Gospel changes the world. It changed my world. In the end, nothing can escape it. As my brother prayed this morning, in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For us that believe, we will do it with all joy because this anticipation of what was to come has manifested. But those that don't believe, oh, they will will bow and they will confess, but they will do it reluctantly. My hope and my prayer is that you, we all do it with joy. But until that day, until that day, we know the truth of who Jesus is. And we're about that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your word. I thank you for that day some 2,000 years ago when there was... Just 120 or so people, just ordinary people gathered in an upper room that had great expectations of of what you would do. They were eagerly awaiting, Father, and when you arrived and you worked, when the Spirit came and lit the fire, that it still burns today. Father, help us to see that and to know that. Help us to seek your face. Help us to be holy. Help us to be ambitious. And have great expectations of you because, God, you are a God that never lets down. Father, my hope and my prayer, too, is that that today we remember and, and trust in the gospel, whether we've known it for years or maybe for the first time today, that we put our hope and our faith in Jesus. Gotta pray it's today. And God, as we leave today, may we, we have conversations around our, our lunch table today about what it means for us to, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be about the work of sharing the gospel and living lives that are holy and glorifying to you. God, would you help us to do that? Help us to encourage one another to be who you've called us to be. And Father, my prayer, too, is that we will live worshipful lives, that we find great joy in worshiping you, Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.